Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. It goes without saying that when I work with a client in my role as a family law lawyer or with two parties when I wear my family mediator hat, one of our tasks is to identify the issues we have to tackle. I often do that using general headings, so the macro approach, and then we break them down further to get into the micro level to examine the issues with more granularity. Let's take child support as our issue and give it that heading. What might be the subcomponents of that general issue? Well, there are many questions to consider here. For example, in what province are we considering the issue of child support? How old are the kids? How much time do they spend with each parent? What are the parents' incomes? There are other factors we have to consider here, but I have identified the main questions for now. The parents' incomes. Yes, that is one of the considerations because if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that the child support guidelines both at the federal and provincial level, give us directions on how to calculate child support. We have tables for each province and for different income levels. And the guidelines also give us directions on how to calculate the parents' contributions to Section 7 expenses over and above the table amount. I am throwing some concepts at you here without much of an explanation. I hope you are familiar with them already. I really want to get to our topic for today, so I'm not going to spend any time explaining the table amount, for example, or the Section 7 expenses. You will find more information about these in other episodes of the podcast and also on my blog. What I do want to focus on today is income in family law. What does it mean? 
In the list of questions we would need to consider under the heading of child support, I identified one of them as the incomes of the parents. How do family courts approach the issue of income when it comes to child support and spousal support as well? If you really wanted to understand this subject, to do a deep dive into it, you would be looking at both the relevant legislation and case law. In other words, decisions made by judges in actual cases involving child support. Such decisions involve the application of the law to the specific facts of each particular case. That is how judges make decisions. Sometimes, as part of his or her decision, the judge interprets the legislation and we use such court decisions as precedents. I'm telling you all this for a number of reasons. Number one, to alert you that the topic can be quite complex. Number two, that information about it comes from several sources. And number three, that it continues to be a topic dealt with by the courts every day because people earn their income in a wide variety of ways, sometimes very novel ways. For example, we now have cryptocurrency, but we also have stock options, RSUs, there are many, many subtopics to consider here. But I want to keep it simple and give you an overview so that you understand the basic concepts. And that might then generate further questions for you applicable to your particular case. So when it comes to child support, you guessed it. We go to the child support guidelines, both federal and provincial. These give us a lot of guidance on the issue of income. Let me distill the provisions for you and the related case law into manageable nuggets. Income is not just employment income. It includes all forms of income from any source, anywhere in the world. So yes, employment income, but also rental income, commissions, business income or self-employment income, trust income, interest, dividends. The definition of income is very, very broad in family law. Also in family law, we have the concept of, quote, income for support purposes, close quote. And this is a term of art, meaning one with a specific meaning in these circumstances. It means income um, let me think, how do I explain this? It's income as a family law judge and the relevant law would see it. So not necessarily the way Canada Revenue Agency might see it. It's income as defined for family law. I will come back to this concept a little later and expand on it. Let's use a very basic hypothetical. And if you've heard Saint Split before, you know that I love hypotheticals. Amir and Samira live in Ontario and have two kids. They are separated. Amir is a T4 employee and earns $50,000 a year. Let's keep it really simple. 
Samira is also a T4 employee and also earns $50,000 a year. Neither has any other source of income. The kids live primarily with Samira. Their daughter takes dance lessons at the monthly cost of $100. Their son does karate at the monthly cost of $200. What is Amir's income? $50,000. What is Samira's income? $50,000. Each gets a paycheck at a regular interval. Taxes are deducted at source. Easy peasy to figure out. We use their gross income to determine support. The kids section seven expenses are $300 per month. Since the parents' incomes are the same, they share those expenses on a 50-50 basis. And here I am not going to get into the argument about whether or not these are actual section seven expenses or whether they should be paid by Samira out of the table amount. But... We all know that people earn their income in different ways. For some, it may be a combination of T4 income and small business in their spare time. For others, some rental income from a basement apartment and a small business. There are lots of options and lots of variations on the theme to consider here. And here things get a little bit more tricky and a little bit more interesting too, I would say. Let's go back to the concept of income for support purposes. For child support, the law approaches the issue of income as follows. It's not just the income you report on your income tax return. It's income that is available to a parent. Available? What does that mean? Well, let's say a parent owns a successful business. Great revenues, reasonable expenses, lots of business income each year, but the parent chooses to take out of the business only a portion of the profits each year. The rest stay in the business. They could take out the money, but they choose not to. Well, that money left in the business is vulnerable to being included in that parent's income for support purposes. I say vulnerable as opposed to will definitely be included because there may be legitimate business reasons for some companies why some money would be left in the business. For example, bank covenants. A lender insists that there be some money in the business at all times as part of the credit arrangements. But generally speaking, just because a parent chooses not to take out business income and it does not hit their income tax return doesn't mean that this income is protected from consideration in the right circumstances, from being part of their yes income for support purposes. The child support guidelines, and in particular Schedule 3, which is actually called Adjustments to Income, address, yes, exactly adjustments that have to be made when income is calculated for individuals 
earning their income in particular ways. So possibly tagging money left in the business is one adjustment. Another common adjustment is in connection with expenses paid by the business. And here I'm talking about expenses that are really personal, but deducted as business expenses, for example. Just because CRA allowed a parent to deduct that seven-day, quote, business trip, close quote, to Hawaii, does not automatically mean that a family court judge will. This is an issue I discussed in some detail in my interview with Ryan Benson, who is a chartered business evaluator and a great guy to boot. Have a listen to that interview. In summary, if a business pays any part of a parent's expenses, once that would otherwise have to come out of their pocket and be paid with after-tax dollars, those expenses may be added back to income to form part of income for support purposes. And then also be grossed up for tax, meaning treated the same way as any other income source because it's gross income that is used to determine support obligations. There are other examples of addbacks to calculate actual income in family law. Let's look at income splitting. When families are intact, a parent's business may be paying salaries to other members of the family as well, the spouse, maybe even the kids. The income is really that parent's income. They are just spreading it around, so to speak, so that it's taxed at lower rates for other people, not at what may already be a high rate for that parent. For an intact family, this makes sense because it's a tax savings overall. The income stays in the family and less tax is paid on it. When a couple splits, income splitting generally ends. The effect is that the income which was previously spread around goes back to the original earner, the parent earning it. It goes back to him or her and forms part of their income for support purposes. So here is the overall takeaway for self-employed people, whether operating a business through a corporation or sole proprietorship, for example. Their income for family law is not just their net business income. There may be very legitimate adjustments to that, some I have touched on so far. And this calculation of this adjusted income often needs to take place before the actual support payments are calculated. In the Amir and Samira example, to calculate Amir's monthly table obligations to Samira, we go to the table for Ontario for two kids and find the income level of $50,000. There is the amount payable. It's $755 per month in table amount. But for a parent who is self-employed, 
more work may need to be done to determine where on the table the finger should go. Is it this income level or another? The question here is, what is the income for support purposes as opposed to just taxable income? And who would be doing these calculations, you might ask? These calculations that represent the adjustments based on the child support guidelines. The adjustments to the income that the self-employed person may be reporting for tax purposes, for example. Well, a family law lawyer can do some of the basic adjustments, but that family law lawyer would not be able to give evidence as to those adjustments and their appropriateness at trial. Sometimes we make such adjustments for the purposes of negotiations, and if the case settles on the basis of a direct dialogue or a mediation, and everyone is in agreement, then we don't have to get anyone else involved. But there are also occasions when the evidence of an expert is required. And here we would use an expert, a chartered business evaluator, or perhaps an accountant in some narrow circumstances, to give an opinion in writing as to that parent's income for support purposes. This expert would be making all the required adjustments and giving an opinion, again, usually in writing, as to that parent's, yes, income for support purposes. The expert's report would then be a piece of evidence for the purposes of a trial, but sometimes even a motion. And the expert would also be a witness at trial as the author of the report. And there are even instances where the expert, like a chartered business evaluator, might submit an affidavit for the purposes of a motion in an appropriate case. So what are the takeaways from this episode? First and foremost, that income in family law may not be as straightforward as many people in the public sphere think. Depending on how a parent earns his or her income, it may either be based on their tax return or it may not be. And if it is not, then fairly complex calculations may have to be undertaken to adjust the income they report for tax purposes, to properly reflect the idea of income under the guidelines. The second thing I wanted you to take away today is that income can come in a variety of forms. So it's not just employment income, and it's not just business income either. Family court takes into consideration any source of income anywhere in the world, and that might include rental income, for example, and the other types of income I spoke about earlier in the episode. And number three, the issue of income is a very important element in the consideration of child support, and it should not be downplayed or trivialized. Family courts take the issue very seriously, and they expect a high level of disclosure from each parent as to their income. The child support guidelines, for example, have very specific provisions 
on automatic income disclosure that is to be made by each parent to the other as soon as a claim for child support is made. And the list included in the guidelines refers not just to people who earn their income as T Ford employees, but also to people who are self-employed and who receive forms of income in unconventional ways. If you have any doubts as to how to represent your own income for family law purposes, or if you have questions about the way the other parent has represented theirs, I strongly encourage you to get legal advice. You don't need to retain a lawyer on a full-time basis based on a classic retainer. Many people are scared by this, and so they don't speak to a lawyer at all because they think that this is their only option. But you have other options. You can get a consultation from a lawyer on a single point in your case, or you can hire a lawyer based on unbundled or limited scope services, meaning to complete only specific tasks that you need their help with. So please don't ignore the income issue in a family law case involving child support. I hope the points I raised today about income in the context of family law will help you make your way to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.